Hello, welcome to the Better Questions Podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. I am joined today by a very special guest, my good friend, Austin Renfro. Austin, glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Love the podcast. Excited to be on. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Yes. Austin and I go way back. Um, we were in rival gangs in high school. Uh, we, were, we went to a summer camp together, but we were separate weeks. And so uh, we, we had a little rivalry back in the day. We both, you know, had our thing. We played guitar. We sang songs. It was our way to, to woo the ladies. And uh, we always saw each other as threats. Too many similarities. Too many similarities. When you have, you you have two options. Um, You can, you can destroy the other people or you can combine powers. Exactly. And I think for a long time, we just had made the decision that there wasn't enough space to coexist. Right. Not enough basketballs, not enough guitars. Yes. Yeah. And then one day we got on staff together. And all that came crumbling down. We realized that we were in the same gang all along. It took us all of maybe 45 minutes yes. of just being together. Yes. You know, a lesson a lesson that I have applied in my life over and over again. I see somebody and I think to myself, I don't like that person. <laughs> and then I think to myself, they're my best friend. <laughs> I, uh, I'm excited to have Austin on. Austin is a, uh, he is a worship leader, worship pastor at New Spring Church. You run an organization called Vocal Athletes, where yep. you train people to sing, speak. You're, what's the mantra of Vocal Athletes? Yeah, habilitation of the voice. So if you think about it, there's definitely uh, a giant market for people that help you get your voice back. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's laryngology, you go to the ENT, you know, their job is to, you know, uh, get your voice up and running. So if you have any type of vocal issues, you know, that's what they do. But that's, and then you have speech pathologists who do vocal rehabilitation, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you're, you're learning how to leverage uh, speech pathology and, you know, creating sound or swallowing or, you know, what, whatever those things are. But then there's just not that many people who are really habilitating the voice or taking right. it to its fullness. And that's what I do is I help speakers and singers, people who use their voice, you know, uh, you know, what is a vocal athlete is always a question that I get. And the, you know, to answer that succinctly is if you have to take a sick day because you can't use your voice and it, it, it impacts your financial status, mm. you're, you're a professional uh, speaker, you're a professional orator, you're a professional singer, if you have to do that. So you can be working at a drive through window. And if you know, you can't use your voice, and you have to take a sick day, you're a vocal athlete, whether yep. you realize it or not. And so you know, people use their voices all the time, but they just don't understand what goes into how to take care of them, and uh, how to enhance them. And so many people are just out there frustrated with how do I get the most out of my voice? Yeah. And that's what I do is I help them get the most out of their voice. Amazing. Um, speaking of using your voice, I have, I feel like I have to, we can cut this out if we want, but I have a memory of one of the ways I think you use your voice the best and that's storytelling. Mm -hmm. Austin and I were directing a middle school camp and, um, every night we tell a bit of a, a scary story to the middle schoolers to have to, you know, it's camp. You have to. And one of my favorites was, all week, Austin is so. Imagine with me this camp. 
uh, Green Lake, Wisconsin. In the middle of the camp, there's a central gathering area where these brass children in a circle holding hands. It's so, surrounded by like yeah. flowers, flowers and roses. Yeah, it sounds and, like, creepier. It, when you just lead with the yeah, brass yeah. children, it is <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. already terrifying. I, there was nothing that I would right. need to do. Imagine a field. <laughs> hundreds of acres. And you go to the center of that field and there's just brass no, 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 children no. holding hands. That's terrifying. Yes. No, no, no. So imagine <laughs> these children in the middle of a really nice area and they're holding hands, they're like putting a ring around the rosy, like like they're in a circle. But there, there's an interesting dynamic in that there's it looks like there's a child missing. There is a child missing. Yes. And it's so it's it's <laughs> obviously harmless. It's so that yeah. little kids, kids can run can, in and, can run in or yeah. take a picture and pose with these yeah, brass yeah. children like you're one of them. And so every night before we send these middle schoolers to bed, Austin would tell the story of the, the brass child who if I remember correctly, was bullied by the other children. And so ran away and out of, I don't even remember the story, but something about how that child would go after other children because he was deranged. Yeah. Well, the, the, <laughs> again, it has to be, you know, to me, the motivation of what, what motivated this brass child yeah. to leave the other brass children. Right. You know, obviously it's gotta be an origin he didn't, story. He did, yeah, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't fit in. <laughs> and so he left. And yeah. then he went looking for other people that he could play Ring Around the Rosie with. Yes. The problem is, is that he's a brass child <laughs> and he doesn't understand his own strength. And so obviously, yeah. without meaning to do harm to normal children. Yeah. And but that's where it the began. best part of the story is you'd always end it with. And if you listen very carefully at night, you might hear the sound of the brass child walking in the woods. And you go, tink, tink, tink. <laughs> Tink. And so on the last <laughs> night of camp, imagine 40 middle schoolers packed around a bonfire. You can't see anything outside of it. And we took our good friend, Zach Yarbrough, friend of the podcast, and painted him gold. Mm -hmm. Like we bought body paint at the store and he hid in the woods with a pan and mm -hmm. a fork. And so when the part came of the story and Austin goes, and if you listen carefully at night, you can hear the sound of the child walking. And Zach slowly begins to beat the pan. Tink. Tink, tink, and get louder and louder. And all of a sudden, the kids are freaking out and they look, and we shine our flashlight in the woods, and there's Zach's bronze face as he's tinking. At this point, we didn't, we, we had no idea how the kids would react. What we didn't expect was that the kids would immediately start sprinting away. Like they ran for their lives yep. in the middle of the night. Yep. And so we're chasing these kids, like, hey, come back. It was a joke, but it was too late. Too One late. kid had an asthma attack. Yeah. His brother had to carry him. Hey. Shout out to Zach on this because when the kids began running, he took he took the fork in the pan yeah. and began hitting it faster as yes. if the child was running. So it went from tink tink to the kids scream. Actually chasing them. And so yeah, uh, um, you know, also oh, in the lessons that you learn in life, always bring an inhaler. An inhaler. Whether you have someone with asthma right. and you're telling scary stories. That's right. The kid survived. Yep, his brother the heroics of his brother. Yep. But anyway, my point telling that is that Austin is a master storyteller, and it's great to have him on the podcast. And I, I I'm just excited that you're here. Thanks um, for having me, Austin. We're gonna dive right in. Let's do it. Uh, we got a question come in. It was actually a question that came in in one of our deep dives we've been doing with our young adults that didn't we have time to get to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a question on leadership. You're in a position of leadership. You've had a lot of experience in that world. And the question is this, and it's submitted by Anonymous. 
Question is leadership. When you are quote unquote at the top, it can feel so lonely. Advice on how to combat the feeling that everyone is just waiting for me to fail. Great question. A lot to unpack in this. And I think we have to take it in bits and pieces at first before we can really um, get to the heart of the issue. Because I do think there's a couple of things in here and and all very real feelings. Um, I think when I started out um, in, in ministry and in leadership, there was this idea um, that when you're at the top, no matter what that is of an organization, uh, of a church, of a company, you know, and, and what I mean from, from, a, from a church standpoint is you're the decision maker. Now, this podcast is amazing because I want to define a couple of things for me even coming into it mm-hmm. as a fan of the show. I think better questions open doors. I think answers close those doors. And as a leader, great leaders understand the principle that questions, better questions allow people to uh, come with better responses, Mm. to come with better thoughts, better ideas. And there's a humility that comes with asking questions. And it's one that I I hope to do more of in the future. Um, I thought thought that great leaders just answered questions. Um, and I've learned more and more that that's not the case. Great leaders ask great questions. Mm. Um, but there was this idea for me that if you're at the top, that you, you're responsible for making all of those decisions. And therefore, any decisions that I disagreed with, with anybody that was ever above me or in meetings with me, it doesn't even have to be above me. It can be a mm-hmm. lateral or someone beneath me. If someone had a differing opinion or an, a differing answer that that was some sort of indictment on them or of me, Um, which is not true, by the way. And from a creative standpoint, this is not just from a leadership standpoint, but from a creative standpoint, if you're ever going to collaborate or work on a large team or even just with a few people, it can be one-on-one. The humility that comes from asking questions and getting to the the why or the how uh, things are done becomes so important. And not only for my own growth, but for the people around me as well, mm-hmm. the people that I'm leading or the people that are leading me. <clears throat> so the idea that for me, the person at the top was the end all be all and that there was a lot of autonomy at the top. Mm-hmm. That would be the biggest thing is I thought that that person was, you know, above reproach in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And there was something in that that, it, when I was especially, in, and I wouldn't say I'm the most mature human being even coming close to that, but I think especially in my most immature head spaces that I was in, I thought that autonomy sounded amazing. Yeah. I thought, I thought, man, when you're at the top, that autonomy is just, it's got to be such a great feeling to just know that you can just tell people, you know, right. something and then it just happens. But as I got into leadership and I was given more responsibility and I stepped into it more, what I learned over time was the the more that you have the opportunity to lead people. And there, again, there's a difference between being a leader and going for a walk. Leading people means that people follow you. And mm-hmm. there doesn't have to be a status or a title that comes along with right. that. People that are leaders, you know they're leaders because people are following them. Just look behind them and just watch how many yep. people are following them. And that can be influence. You can have you can have massive influence but not have the title yet. Hmm. 
and you're a leader. Uh, and because of that, you got to be careful. Uh, I would I would speak caution also to the people that think they're leaders just because of title, and yet they're not there's no one following them and therefore they think they're leading, but they're just going for a walk. Yeah. Uh, so there, there does have to be some sense of caution and understanding that, you know, just because you don't have the title doesn't mean that you're not leading people. So you do have to be careful with your actions. And just because you have the title doesn't mean that you're leading people. So you need to make sure that you have a sensitivity to where people are on their journey. So for the autonomy portion of this, what I learned was as I began having not only influence as a leader, but given authority as a leader, that the the burden actually became greater. Um, and I had more people that I was accountable to. Not only was I accountable to the people that were above me, but I realized very quickly through um, you know God revealing things in my life about compassion and empathy and mm-hmm. in my own flaws, what I needed to grow was other people's patience with me. And I needed to be patient with the people now that were underneath me. And it started out, you know, it it, it kind of always starts like this. If you're a leader, there's always going to be people following you. But when you begin given authority, you you have a couple of people that you're really accountable to the people that the the person that's directly above you and the people that are directly beneath you. Now you're accountable to all of the lateral people and the three people up. But as far as the direct contact and, 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 you know, the, the jump and how high and all of that stuff. It's really just a couple of people initially. And for me feeling the burden of that and going, Oh man, I I'm more accountable now than I've ever been. I'm, I actually became less, I had less autonomy. Yeah. And so then I, then I, I fell into the same trap. I thought, well, maybe as I get a layer up into leadership, I'll have that autonomy. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you get that promotion or you you step into that next layer of leadership, whether it's without title and it's just with, hey, you're going to lead more people, you're going to do this thing. Right. And you realize again, oh no, it's it's significantly less autonomy than ever before. Because if you're a good leader, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a good leader, I'm saying that I'm aware of the responsibilities that I have because I have a lot of great mirrors around me. Yep. Um, the mirrors reflect back to you reality. And if you are moving towards health and functionality, for me, my marriage is a mirror. My mm. wife, if I allow her to be, is a reflection back to me. You can be in denial. You can close your eyes and have right. a mirror still in front of you. It doesn't mean the mirror is not there. It right. just means you're closing your eyes. Yeah. You can close your ears. It doesn't mean that people aren't giving you feedback, but you can close your ears. And I think those things represent uh, a hardened heart. And if there's anything in scripture yeah. that I look at and I go, man, I prayed, God, that's never me. It's somebody with a hardened heart. But you have these mirrors. It can be, you know, for me and my wife, my kids are now mirrors back to me. Mm. Um, my teammates that are lateral with me are mirrors back to me. Yeah. Uh, my my direct supervisor is a mirror back to me, whether it's uh, officially a, a quarterly review, an annual review. Um, my subordinates, the people that work beneath me, whether it's volunteers, contractors, or employees are mirrors back to me. And it's my job to make sure that I'm seeing and hearing those things. And I don't, I don't think I do an, an especially good job at that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning how to do that well, but I know that they're there. And so there's this recognition of those things. And that's where you begin to get into feeling the weight of that because, um, and, and now we're getting into more of the question of the uh, specific of when you're at the topic and feel so lonely yeah, advice yeah. on how to combat the feeling that everyone is waiting for me to <clears throat> fail. I think that you arrive at that place 
a couple of different ways. I think there is a there's a healthy way that you can arrive at that feeling. Yeah. Um, of saying, I understand what's at stake. Right. I want to feel the burden of what it means to be a leader yep. because it's a choice. Right. It is now a choice for me to be in this position. And I choose to be in that spot every single day. Yeah. What does it mean to choose? It's not, it's not, it doesn't happen the moment they give you the promotion because typically the promotion will be reactive to how you were doing up to that point. Um, it's every day choosing, I choose to be the husband to my wife. Now, mm -hmm. I also get to choose to, whether I'm the good one or the bad one. Right. I get to choose to be forgiving, to be gracious, to be compassionate, or I fail and I learn. You yeah. know, and, and really, you know, this is where you get into the question of, you know, where other people are waiting for me to fail. Failure is inevitable. Failure is absolutely inevitable in any time you're working in relationship with people. Let's take away ministry or dynamics of work if you are just with people there's going to be hurts there's going to be flaws mm -hmm. because i bring my own brokenness everywhere that i go right. i don't need anybody else to mess that up for me i do it all by myself yeah um what's going to help me in the long run is 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 when i fail when i misstep to not close the door on those those mirrors in my life and allow them to do what God intended them for to, to do, which is to be a reflection back to me. Right. Uh, you know, we I have the Holy Spirit in my life that helps reveal mm -hmm. uh, things uh, uh, in my heart, in my brokenness, even in my nature that other people cannot see, that only God knows. And so I have this great friend that is the Holy Spirit to help yep. guide me. And then I also have great people around me. I would say if you're someone who's at the top and kind of recognizing that the top yep. does not mean autonomy, it means accountability, especially right. when it's healthy. And that the top means that you have more people being a reflection back to you. You gotta, you gotta make sure that you don't allow the people that are in the throes of, maybe they're like six, if you're, if you're really high up in leadership, you might have people that you're engaging with that are six decision makers away from you right. that those people are holding you accountable for those decision makers and it right. can feel like you know yeah. the 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 you've got the the, the pitchfork and right. the torches and people are just you know how well, dare you i think part of the the struggle um is that when you're sitting at the top or even close to the top and you're making decisions inevitably those decisions are going to be liked by people and they're going to be disliked by people. Oh, yeah. And I, I think of examples of like having to let someone go. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the information that you have is privileged information about the situation that is not yours to share with everybody. And so when you make a hard decision, like all of a sudden there are good people who are frustrated with you making a good decision because of the information you knew that you can't share. That's lonely. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden, like, you can't explain yourself to, like, even though you know you did the right thing, um, there are going to be people who are going to criticize you, who are going to lob accusations, whatever. And I think that's part of the one of the struggles. I, I love um, J.R. Briggs has a great definition of leadership. He says, a leader is someone who uh, builds trust, bears pain, and brings hope. Yes. And I, that, that middle one, bears pain, I think is part of underneath what the, what's what's in the question is that in that position you are going to carry with you um the pain of bigger issues 
whether organizational or like even just individual people's pain that they bring to you because you're the you're their supervisor or whatever that mm-hmm. might be. And I think a good leader in some ways doesn't just you know, you don't want that to consume you, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you you bear it with them. Yep. And that's what what it means to be a, a brother sister in Christ. It's like we're we're going to bear this together. But when you're there and everybody's coming to you, like think right. of a triangle, right? And you're mm-hmm. at the top, like everybody's bringing you their burdens and sometimes that can be a lonely place. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more with that. And I think that uh, when Paul is writing about suffering, and as I'm not a, I'm not a scholar mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but I get to be around people like you who are stuttering, studying the, the Greek and Hebrew and looking at things and saying, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's this idea that um, suffering is somehow physical, but you know, right. as I've heard it said recently that as that's being unpacked more, it's it is especially in ministry and life, the suffering of what it means to really have that um, that heaviness, the emotional heaviness, the yeah. spiritual heaviness, and and I mean that in the sense of like exactly what you said, people sharing in their burdens, and I think <clears throat> for me that is one of the hardest things, and and I think. I go back to God's word so many times and I try to to look at things and 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 bring what my ideas are on leadership or the things that I'm kind of wrestling with and trying to look for um where where this this river of life is flowing from and even in sharing burdens and uh, I would say there's two there's two ideas even inside of the the fi- firing someone's a great example because right. you're you're exactly right Typically, by the time it comes to the point where someone is being let go, um, it's such a it's such a hard thing. I try to honor people, and I think this is something you want to you want to finish your race well. Yep. You want to honor people, and sometimes that means you don't go fight your battles. I don't need mm. to go explain to everyone why right. a decision was made. And I'm not going to go badmouth somebody because scripture tells me yep. even if someone is going to badmouth me, that my job is to one, turn the other cheek yep. and two, bless those that curse me. If I feel like I have to come to my own defense to the, to the masses, if I told them right. why, if I told them this private information, it still probably wouldn't satisfy them. Yep. The people have a right to an offense and typically those people are connected in some way or you know, man, people are really good at picking up other people's causes and just rallying, even yeah, if they don't yeah. fully understand. And so I don't look at those people and give them validation to to what they're saying beyond the, the, the humanness that we all have when we see someone else and we see this injustice. Well, if it was truly unjust, then that's going to be worked on in my own life too. Mm-hmm. And my position in leadership may dissolve if that yeah. were to be the case. And there's always people get a vote in these things too. But there is this heaviness that comes along too. And I do feel like that is a lot of times if you're if you're leading well, and this is uh, one of my favorite quotes from Jimmy Webb, who is a great songwriter. He actually w- wrote the song Wichita Lineman. Mm. Um, and he said, you know, songwriting is hell on earth. And if it's not, you're doing it wrong. Mm. And what he meant by that is not that it's joyless and it's horrible. Yeah. It's just, it's supposed to be something that you wrestle with. Yeah. And I think in leadership, if... If those if those moments aren't if those decisions aren't hard for you if you are blabbing right. and you are coming to your own defense you're not allowing the word of God to prove 
and produce the fruit in your life that it can, because yeah. Scripture tells me that God is going to come to my defense yeah. and that He alone is righteous, and right. I'm not leaving these things up to other people. If I've sought, if I've if I've prayed, and I'm in the Word, and I'm doing these things, and I'm trying to follow after what God is leading me to that day, if I'm listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if I have wise people in my life, if I'm trying to bring, you know, my giftedness and humility, you know, and I'm really I'm really honestly pursuing God when those things come. Yes, I'm still going to be refined. You yeah. know, the presence of God and allowing him to be close to my life and other people who have God in their life mm-hmm. and they're bringing him into situations, then there is a there's a part where I have to do what scripture says is and that's to follow, to trust and obey and lean not on my own understanding. I want to justify, I want to come to my own defense. Right. I want to explain myself. These right. are all things that I want to do. Yeah. I I no, I think it's dead on and I think I think one of the things under this question too, um, you know, sometimes pe- people create narratives that aren't actually true, but because they, I'll give you an example, like take take NBA, for example, like mm. Milwaukee Bucks for a long time, there was this narrative that Giannis Antetokounmpo, did I say it right? I was close. Uh, was never going to be great because he didn't win, a, he couldn't win a championship, he couldn't win the playoffs. And people were, were, you know, perpetuating this narrative. Like if you listen to Skip Bayless or, you know, ESPN talking heads, it's like Giannis is never going to be, you know, the best in the league. He can't win in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. And if you look at like, if you, if you look at it from uh, the analytical perspective, you look at the the stats, he wasn't performing any worse in the playoffs. They were, there were bad matchups. Like it, it wasn't a true narrative. And then he won the championship next year and he, they might win it this year. He's mm-hmm. that good. I, I think sometimes we have these narratives that we propagate um, and, and what I'm, John Acuff just wrote a book called Soundtracks. I think this is a great way to frame it. Um, he's, his big thesis is that we need to retire old soundtracks. Yep. And, and one of the soundtracks or narratives that I think in this question is this idea that um, the feeling that everyone is just waiting for me to fail. So it's, it's almost like I, I almost think that for this person asking the question to ask yourself, I know the feeling like you're in a fishbowl, right? But do you really think everybody's watching, waiting for you to fail? Because I think sometimes we can we can sort of cultivate these this narratives that like everybody's just waiting for you to make a mistake. And yet, one of the things that I've seen in leadership is leaders who do fail, leaders who do make mistakes, but then respond in humility and respond in, hey, I, I screwed up. All of a sudden, their influence grows, right? They're 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 leadership prowess like it's it's like oh wait it's it's actually backwards like the expectations that we put on ourselves are often projections of what we think people how they view us when the reality is a bunch different i love that because i would say the same thing in performance if i was talking if you're if you're a a singer songwriter you're somebody who's in a performance role and you have anxiety about getting on stage one of the things that i would coach everyone to to recognize is that when you just put yourself in the consumer standpoint, put yourself in the audience for a moment. If you pay to go to a concert or you, you whether it's a church setting, someone gets up on stage, um, psychologically, we all want, everyone in yeah. the room wants whoever is on the stage who has the microphone right. to be great. They want you to succeed. We want it because yeah. we're here and I want it to be great. And when it's not... Yep. That's when, you know, right. the 
if you if you imagine the booze and the you know people throwing tomatoes that's yeah. that that's that feeling but for the most part it's our job to maintain that people want us to be successful. Yeah. In leadership, it's the same thing. People don't want us to fail. They want us to succeed. If there are people, there may be people that legitimately are, even for the person that asked this question, there may be people that legitimately want to see you fail. That can be, that can be true, but it's not going to be the, the mass it's not going to be the greater number. And you might have somebody that's close to you, somebody that's a subordinate that's like, man, they feel like it feels like they're like just waiting for you to, yep. so they can take your job. Okay, that might be true. But that person's just immature. Sure. They have no idea what your job is. Yeah. <laughs> if no. you're really that, if you're in leadership, that if that person is really pining for that mm-hmm. and they're not supporting you well, they have no idea what it means to lead. Servant leadership, uh, and I, I've heard this said, is synonymous. To yeah. lead is to be a servant. And if there's a somebody who's not serving you well, they have no idea what it means to lead. Yeah. That's just true. And if you are not serving your leaders well, then maybe you still have a lot of lessons. I know I do on how to serve, on how to lead. Yeah. And so if you're in that position, some of that might be true. Maybe even your direct supervisor or the person that's above you is, is, is hoping you fail. But again, I go back to what God's word tells me to do. Mm-hmm. I, even though I'm here, I'm not working for this person. I am. Yep. And scripture tells me, Hey, if I'm the servant to not frustrate my master, I need to serve this person. Well, bless those that curse me. Even if this person's trying to get me fired, I can still say nice things about this person and not play the same game they are. And right. what does scripture say? It's like he- heaping hot coals on someone's head. Yeah. It's like, there's, I can think of only maybe a few things that might be worse than having hot coals on my head. I've never had hot coals on my head. (laughs) That sounds pretty terrible. But even in that, it's like, there's just so many things that we can go back to scripture and say, if you are in that position, and even if that were true, which it may just be a feeling Mm -hmm. and to remember that there are more people wanting your success than there are wanting your harm. Um, The other part in that for me is the idea. So if, if again, if we're looking at just, that position and you do have people that do want your failure. I'm gonna acknowledge that and say that this is true. To 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 say you're in this spot. You need healthy people around you that can help bring perspective and encouragement. If you don't have that and you are at the top and it is lonely, I I can almost guarantee that a, that sensation of feeling lonely is also a representation of a lack of people and you have to go seek these people out yep you have to go find these people if you feel lonely if you're listening to this podcast right now and you can't you don't have somebody you can pick up the phone and say hey i i need like i just we just need to talk like can i can we get together because i just need to debrief some stuff i need to tell you about this feeling of loneliness that i have that i'm experiencing because that if that is left un, undealt with, you are going to begin making bad decisions. And like Matt said, you know, the to me, you can, you can fail as a leader, but it's about how you respond. Are you going to double down? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, you know, and when it comes to this stuff, um, in life you can be stupid sometimes, but mm-hmm. if you're stupid and humble, you know, you're you can make it through. You know, because <laughs> there's a lot of smart people out there, yeah. and you can be. Um, you can be you can be stubborn but you can't be stupid and stubborn doubling down and making a decision that when other people are looking at it from the outside objectively is like hey that's that's a wrong choice don't do that also 
Don't do that and then double down on that. Right. You know, and that's where humility comes in. And that's where you need other people that do have wisdom. They do have perspective yeah. to get outside of that fishbowl. You know, you might need some help. You need those relationships. And I would say finding those people that are away from a lot of that, that can just bring a healthy perspective, whether it's godly encouragement, mm-hmm. someone that's just going to speak truth in your life, not somebody that's going to agree with you and say, yeah, you're alone. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they're waiting for you to fail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. even if, then what What does God's word say about those things? Sure. I, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. That's my last word on it is I think it's good to have people who are outside of your organization too, who are totally... Because anyone who's in it, right, who's on, who's in, in the organization, they're going to see everything through a very specific lens. And right. it, it's impossible to have total objectivity. But someone who's outside, someone who you can have confidence with, who you trust, who you can share things knowing that, like, they're going to look you straight in the eye and tell you the truth. Like, that's so invaluable. And I think when you're in positions of leadership, if you don't have people in your life who, like you and I, we will do this once a month, we'll, we'll sit around a solo stove and we will just commiserate yep. and talk ministry, talk fails, successes. And like, there are moments where either of us can just like point out the, the obvious. It's like, hey, you do realize like this is happening. And it's like, I couldn't see it in the moment because I'm so in it. Um, and it goes both ways. I, I think having those kinds of relationships outside of your organization, um, people you can trust, also to not like carry the burden of it being only you who knows these things. And not not that you're like divulging the secrets of government secrets, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Being able to share and get, get perspective is so helpful. Even if you are at the top and, and let's say, let's say that all of this is true. You're at the top. People are waiting for you to fail. You're not the only one. Yeah. You're not the only one. And, and, and so many times not to hyper spiritualize this, but the enemy wants you to think you're alone. The enemy wants you to think that your, you know, your next mistake is the last one that you'll ever make. It'll yeah. lose everything that you have. And once you start doing that, you begin to close your fist around what God has given you to remember that these are gifts. Leadership is a gift. The people that are that are that are that are in support of what you mm. are, what you're doing, you know, they want they want to see Christ in you. Yeah. And Christ was humble. He poured himself out. Um, and that's the part for you that it's like, you got to find, and you got to remember there's people that have been through where you've been. You got to find them. You got to find those mm-hmm. people that have been where you've been, where you are, and they can help you make it out. You're yeah. just looking for that next step and do the next right thing. Do the next wise thing, yeah. you know, which is never going to be, um, closing our fist and putting around walls to what we're doing. It's offering those things back to God and saying, God, I need your help, man. I just, I feel like I'm one mistake away. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like everyone's waiting for me to fail. You're in good company. David wrote a lot about this. You know, there was a lot of people, there have been a lot of great champions of of God's love that we can look at in scripture and say, these people felt like this too. They wrote about it so that we can commiserate with them. If you're somebody, I, I'm, I'm in Alaska. I don't have anybody mm-hmm. that, man, go to, God, go to God's word. There's going to be encouragement there for you as well. But yeah. But uh, there's, there's, we need each other. We need, totally. we need, we need relationship, and we need people that can bring perspective to our situations. Uh, there's this great interview. This is totally a little bit off topic, but it made me think of like government secrets. Mm-hmm. That's where my brain went. Mm-hmm. Where Obama was asked on on a talk show, um, so like they're asking him. This is post presidency, and they asked him about aliens. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you know? And Obama gives this like little smirk. That was like an acknowledgement of like, oh, I know. I, he can't share. Right. But he knows. Yeah. 
and then he goes on to set, talk about UFOs, some of the crazy things he's seen, and like he's like, yeah, there's some stuff that's like way out there we don't really know. And but it, it just makes me think like part of part of leadership too is having information. And as humans, we want to share information. Like yep. we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Nope. But that is a, that's kind of a lonely thing to like be the president to know about the aliens and to not talk about the aliens. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude, I love talking about aliens. I could just do another podcast where we just talk oh, about aliens. Thousand percent, dude. Thousand um, percent. <clears throat> that'll be a better question one week about aliens and the gospel. It's I think aliens can be saved for sure. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, very good, Austin. Thank you for tackling that. Uh, thanks for joining me. Again, if you want to send in questions, you can send them in at uh, betterquestions at eastminster.org or go to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. Submit questions. Uh, we're going to be getting back to the Monday, Thursday release schedule now that uh, the holiday is over. So look forward to more episodes coming down the road. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.